Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to a more perfect union. I'm Chris Wolf, and joining me this week, our roundtable of radio regulars, higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, our Beacon Hill representative, Jeff Roy, the chair of Franklin's Democratic Committee, Rachel Plukas, our station manager, Peter Jay, and my co-host, Nick Romasong. When is it okay to shoot in self-defense? A black teenager who rang the wrong doorbell in Kansas City, Missouri, has renewed uh, scrutiny of the Stand Your Ground and other self-defense laws. Ralph Yarl, a 16-year-old high school junior, was going to pick up his younger twin brothers from a house when he approached an incorrect address. The homeowner, 84-year-old man, came to the door and shot Yarl in the head before shooting him a second time, according to the police report. Yarl suffered a traumatic brain injury, but he has survived. So when is it okay to defend yourself and when is it simply wrong? The man has surrendered and has now been charged after some question about whether there was any offense at all. But um, where does that leave us? Yeah, let me jump in because that's just the tip of the iceberg, Chris. We have six people who were killed in Nashville, Tennessee, by a gunman who went into the school with the assault-style weapon. We have a couple who went down a road because they were lost. And as I've done many times, hundreds of times probably in my lifetime, went in their driveway to turn around and found themselves assaulted and one of the passengers of the car killed by a person who came out and fired at him. We have an incident where cheerleaders in Texas were at a grocery store. One of them got into the wrong car, immediately recognized that there was someone in the car. Oh, this is not my car. Got out got into her car with her friend, and uh, the person came over and didn't say anything. They were apologetic. Oh, hey. And as soon as they started to talk, the guy reached into something, whether it's his waist or a holster, and started shooting and shot them both. It's not just a matter of when is it okay to defend yourself. All of this within a two-week period we're talking about, and more. Let's not forget Dadeville in Alabama, Louisville, Kentucky, where a person in a bank, again, with an assault-style weapon, kills people. It looks like it may have been a disgruntled employee. All of this within a two-week period. So the issue, I don't think, is self-defense. Let's move off of that. Mm -hmm. This is a matter of, in our country, it's becoming so regular that people are using guns as an expression of emotion as a means of saying, I don't like what you just did, or I'm afraid of you because of your color, or because I don't like the fact that you just came onto my property. 
what's going on here is something that I think is beyond. And I'm sorry we don't have our friends from Franklin because, for example, I'm a gun owner. When I go to my door, I don't normally go and unlock my safe and pull my gun out and go to the door ready to shoot. That, to me, is not necessarily normal behavior. But yet, in some places and with some people in their emotional state, that is their reaction. So the question becomes, how do we deal with this? In Tennessee, after the shooting and two of their legislative members decided, hey, let's try to create at least some kind of laws that restrict access or the ability to get certain kinds of guns, they were expelled with all kinds of racial overtones over their, uh, uh, over their being expelled, not because of, uh, not just because of their legislation, but because, well, let's also unveil our dislike for you being in this legislature as a person of color. So let me throw this out to all of my friends and colleagues here. Folks, this is not just about guns. And I'd really like for us to talk about what is going on here and why is it that uh, in this country where we have an overproliferation of guns in our entire country, that now it's look, it looks like it's becoming okay to use a gun as an expression of emotion, where it used to be something as simple as yelling or cursing, uh, but not anymore. Well, Mike, uh, you bring up some uh, absolutely great points, and uh, I just want to start uh, by talking about the expulsion of the members from the legislature in Tennessee. Um, you indicated that uh, people who were involved in the protest were expelled. I'll remind you that uh, only two of the three uh, were expelled from that body. The one white woman was not expelled from that body, despite the fact that she was participating uh, right along with them. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, the other problem is uh, a legislative body expelling members who were elected and duly elected to serve as the represent representatives of particular communities uh, were expelled because they engaged in a First Amendment protected thing called speech. And, uh, you know, we're talking about guns on this show, which is a Second Amendment protected activity. And people will go to incredible lengths to protect that right under the First Amendment. But we saw when someone was engaged in free speech to call into question uh, something uh, involving another amendment uh, and involving illegal activity and involving death and mayhem and uh, destruction of human life, they are expelled for exercising their First Amendment right because somebody felt threatened about a Second Amendment right. The hypocrisy and the um, just jilted reasoning that surrounds that uh, is, is amazing to me. I have been uh, involved in the expulsion of a member from the Massachusetts legislature. It was not an easy thing to do, um, but we did have a trial in our body. 
And, uh, you know, the person was expelled because they had been convicted of a crime that caused them to be incarcerated. So they could not do their job as a representative in the great and general court because they simply could not participate in anything because they were in jail. Uh, and they committed a crime. And uh, I thought that, you know, expelling that member, I, I was disappointed that that member did not take it upon himself to resign. Um, but, uh, you know, your duty calls to expel a member in those circumstances. Absolutely abhorrent that they expelled those members from the Tennessee legislature. And I think that speaks volumes uh, about where uh, Tennessee is at. And I uh, also express uh, volumes about my reluctance now to uh, return to Nashville until they get their house in order, uh, because I don't want to participate in the promotion of any activity that's going to support uh, that type of belief and behavior. And, and I hope uh, that it's a, an awakening moment for, for people to see that uh, it, it can happen in Tennessee, it can happen anywhere uh, in our United States, and uh, we have to be vigilant uh, for this uh, type of activity. Back to the gun piece, I am so proud to be part of uh, the Massachusetts legislature who takes this issue uh, very seriously. We have strong background check laws. We have uh, an assault weapons ban here in Massachusetts, and we have probably the most stringent uh, rules and regulations and laws on gun safety. That's not to say that we're never going to see an event like this, but uh, people in Massachusetts can feel uh, very safe walking around. And, uh, and our Congressman uh, Jake Auchincloss did a, an op-ed piece in Today's Globe uh, that speaks both to how uh, well Massachusetts has done on the topic of gun safety, but it also speaks to the indoctrination of youth and their participation in these uh, websites that promote hatred and uh, discord among uh, young, typically young white males. And uh, he's asserting that we ought to do something uh, about that. So uh, I'll get off my soapbox now. Uh, Michael, you you uh, engaged my thinking, and I appreciate that. And uh, I hope uh, we can now yeah. go around and see how others feel. And I'd a quick like aside, <laughs> uh, uh, just a quick aside. The two Justins, Pierce and Jones, out of Tennessee, are using Massachusetts as a model for their legislation, as a matter of fact. And they've been very open and, uh, I think, very demonstrative about the fact that they also believe that the Massachusetts laws are exemplary and ought to be proliferated across the country more. But I just wanted to throw that in, in terms of what's going on in Tennessee. I wanted to just touch on one quick point. Um, the, again, not a gun point, but in terms of in spe specifically the Ralph Yarl case, that young man was brutal and just ugly thing. And, when you look at the picture of the 84-year-old man, 82, 84, whatever he is, uh, there's a tendency, particularly when you're close to that age yourself and white, to think, well... I, I wouldn't know anything about that with all due respect. Uh, I'll let you know uh, in a century or two. Uh, 
Oh, jeez. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you if you had uh, left the white off, I am very uh, very much in resemblance yeah. of that particular resemblance, remark. Yes. <laughs> but it was it's you know it, th- my initial response was well part of initial response was well he's fearful he's home alone he's fearful he's an older man perhaps fears physically from anybody but at the same time you get a gun you stand there at your door and just start shooting that has nothing to do with being elderly or fearful it has to do with an ingrained sense of i don't know if you would call it entitlement if you would call it uh fear sure he he was expressing some fear but there's a art his ex-wife who had left him years ago has come out and said that this was a very violent angry man so it's it's something where there needs to be some attempt to assess gun ownership more reasonably and more stringently. I, I don't know how you would uh, necessarily, you know, ask somebody, does this make you mad? And then watch their reaction. But it, it's something that I need we need to look at much more closely is who's getting a license and who's allowed to hold a gun. I think well, there's the- a there's a larger issue here also to consider. We have become post-COVID, a hyper-reactive society. And I really want to underscore that hyper-reactiveness. There's a lot of anger, hurt, pain out there. People are walking around with frustration, and that has to find its way out somewhere. I mean, years ago, it was, hey, you kids, get off my lawn, and that was the end of it. Mm. Um, And now it's, you know, shoot first and ask questions later. It's mind-boggling and that emotions running as high as they are to create what has become a hair trigger society all of these itchy trigger fingers out there looking to express their hate anger their hurt all of it speaks to a larger societal problem we are not over the after effects of covid and this is one of them that's part of it i'm not going to say it's the whole thing but i think it is certainly part of it I mean, you could walk up to somebody and say, good morning, how are you? And they would say, what do you mean by that? Uh, it's, as all, it's as though everybody has a chip on their shoulder uh, and, and they're just you know ready to take on the world because they're angry about something. There's just a lot of misplaced anger out there, mm-hmm. anger that has no place to go. And that's the, that's the really sad commentary here, that we, if there's anything that we need to mitigate, it's that. And I don't, I'm not sure that i have an answer for a problem that's that large rachel do you can you give us some insight i mean you're you're a teacher um you're working with children every day can you give us some insight into what this might be doing to them what the response is what you feel is a reasonable way to to explain this to children if there is a reasonable way to explain it to children well thanks for keeping the question easy and (laughs) (laughs) yes i know well it no, it helps what I was thinking while you guys were um, talking a little bit, actually, which is something that has gone into the the pro gun chants and rants. Right, the guns don't kill people; people kill people. That quote to me has always been tough to reason with because it's like, yeah, yeah, it does. That's what we're talking about right now. We're talking about people and with the young folks in schools. Um, I think right now something that I get to experience a lot of in the not in franklin here but i'm i know that 
those guys have a similar experience where the officers from the town, the, their ability to kind of like be there in a welcome and wonderful and friendly way um, has been a cool thing to see that kind of ramped up during the pandemic. Um, there was more of that kind of presence. There are more dogs uh, hanging around and saying hello, giving the kids someone that uh, that's what we need to see more of. Pandemic helped with that. But I don't know, Pete, when we got started in this conversation, I kind of um, I was saying to Pete that I'm here more to listen. I don't un- this to me has always just been so I can't understand it. I can't understand this desire and this person, this not this gun that would kill someone, this person mm-hmm. that would and make it part of them while they're starting an interaction and a conversation with another human being. Have it, having it with you while you start the conversation just seems I can't I don't get it. And I think, yeah. I think that we're all nonplussed by these recent events because classically we've been dealing with mass shootings where people have gone in with deliberation to create mayhem in schools, malls, public places, churches. Uh, and so we've had that one model of all the bad stuff about guns. Now, suddenly, in these last two weeks, we have a new model. We have this uh, hypervigilant, hyperreactive citizens shooting first, asking questions later, this notion that, well, I have a gun and I can use it. Okay. So, so this, this, this definitely brings a new slant on what constitutes uh, gun safety legislation. And it gets us into a discussion of, you know, what I find interesting also, and this is just a statistic I'll throw out there. Massachusetts is in one sense, a very average state per capita. That is, uh, we excel in many things, of course, but in terms of the number of people in Massachusetts, it's approaching 7 million, which as one state out of 50, it means that we are 2% of the U.S. population, which is around 330 million plus. So we are 2% and a little bit of change. So we are, we are let's call it right-sized. Now, if in fact we are average, when you look at the statistics of where gun violence takes place, you have to understand, you have to believe, you have to come to the conclusion that the laws we have on the books in Massachusetts regarding gun safety and maybe even our general outlook on life as a relatively blue state is having a positive effect. That is, I'm not saying we're impervious. I'm not saying that it can't happen here. But when you look at the distribution, we need to take a look at what a closer look at what are we doing well. And if other states like Tennessee believe they can follow our lead, how do we amplify that? How do we make that um a nationwide prerogative. And, Pete, and obviously not everybody's going to be receptive. I think that this group and where we are in Massachusetts matters a lot too. Um, Franklin um, and the recent achievements of the police department. And I wish we had somebody here to share from the police department. But Franklin, Franklin is a model for so many other uh, places that I don't know. Let's let's get them in. We want to hear from them. So no, I would just raise one other uh, issue on the, the specific Ralph Yall case. We don't know yet if um, the um, shooter's def- defense team will perhaps raise an argument about impaired judgment, given his age. That's a possibility. But that would raise the question of like, uh, 
how does one's entitlement to own uh, and carry guns uh, change as one ages and um, one's judgment does become uh, impaired? If you can't mm-hmm. drive after mm-hmm. a certain age, uh, what what it would seem logical, therefore, that there would be some kind of restrictions on gun ownership uh, as age advances. But I, I don't know. I don't have the information. Does anyone can anyone fill me in there? Well, one of the things about uh, Kansas City, Missouri, is that they do have a stand your ground law, and it's anticipated that part of the defense uh, for Lester will be, in fact, they'll start there. Lester claiming that Ralph Yarrow was jiggling the handle on the storm door, which Yarrow denies, and and so already there's a, a gap in the statements between the victim and the assailant, let's call them, and I think the stand your ground law has some limits. And so this one's going to be, I think, fleshed out in, in the arguments before the court. It seems weak to me, but... Um, well, as a as a voracious reader, uh, I mean, I've already read probably uh, tons of uh, potential defenses as well as potential uh, ways that this case is, uh, that the Yarl case is going to be prosecuted. And already, uh, I think, as as Nick may have pointed out, some of the family members of Lester have come forward and said, well, this guy had not just impaired judgment uh, at the moment, but he also has a history of this kind of animus toward people of color. I think that's going to become relevant. The, se- uh, the fact that he shot twice, uh, the first time he shot, the, the, you, you know, the, uh, uh, the young kid fell down right. on the ground, but then he went and shot him again. That's right. going to become a relevant issue. All of these, and then the stand your ground piece. But let me throw in another kind of aspect here. The idea that when you pick up a gun, that certain legislatures have found it necessary to wrap you in some kind of mantle, allowing you to use that gun, harkens back to the days of, and dare I say this, uh, of slave traders. Uh, A slave escapes. And suddenly there are all kinds of laws that are that allow the people who are after these slaves to go and get them with the uh, with the potential in some instances to use deadly force if necessary. And also to to take them out of states that did not have slavery. They could take them out of those states if they'd reach. Exactly. Mm. And, and, And recently we're moving more and more to states trying to. Uh, sort of indicate that we will protect you or we will take away your rights. I mean, I, you know, not that I'm trying to build a relationship between the use of guns and, and women's rights to health care, but suddenly the state says, oh, guess what? You have to stay in this state. Uh, and if you leave this state in order to get health care, whether it's an abortion or whether it's some kind of uh, uh, of attention for an anomaly or a miscarriage, we're going to follow you, and then we're going to drag you back to this state and then prosecute anybody who helped you along the way. Doesn't that feed into this same idea, this same mentality that I, as a human being in this country, can do basically anything I want, either to a person with, uh, you know, you know, uh, with my gun. Or I can keep women in cages and dictate to them what's going on. I think this attitude that we're permeating here 
uh, is dangerous. And the last few weeks have just sort of pointed to me that, you know, this is, again, this is not just about guns. This is an attitudinal piece. And it's unfortunate that one particular, you know, there are people who are being weaponized by some of our news outlets. I mean, come on, let's face it. When when a news outlet can lie to the people, I mean, absolutely proven that they can lie to the people who are watching their media. Doesn't that bring up some kind of danger signals? Well, let's go all the way back to Pizzagate. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Here's a person right. who thinks that these kids are in a basement in a building that doesn't have a basement. And he goes in with a gun. I'm going to free these kids. Well, um, in my the course of my BBC career, obviously, I worked a lot with um, uh, academics and intelligence people who were studying uh, terrorism, and they would the the phrase you're you're looking for, I think you're reaching for, Doctor Mike, is radicalized. That mm-hmm. in the um, these uh, kids, uh, usually kids, uh, finding themselves discovering, I- imagining themselves a sense of self worth by doing something violent against a you know mm-hmm, an imaginary grievance right. and you know you see it all the time in terrorism around the world and it doesn't mean that they then have to be recruited into an organization the uh, the phenomenon that the scholars talk about is stochastic terrorism where you incite in the mind of the individual that they can make a difference if they take action on their own mm. um of of usually of a violent nature um and uh you know it's the kids sadly when they're interviewed like as once they've become like adults regret and are ashamed of what they've done and you know but it's because usually they're angry young men uh they're they're kind of channeled into doing these kinds of things now the uh, older generation that's a whole different kettle of fish there's mm-hmm. they're, they're just anger seems to be being stoked all the time and as you say give that anger firepower and the the, the results seem to be inevitable i mean it's, it's a, like common sense anywhere else in the world People are shaking their heads at the inability of this country to tackle the problem on a comprehensive scale. I mean, I've already had people in the UK tell me in the last year or so they're not going to schedule a trip to the United States because they're worried about getting shot. Yeah, um, you know. So it's yeah. we live here and we think we know the risks are manageable, but outsiders are starting to think, "Oh, what the hell is going on there?" I mean, I, I remember remember when the uh, particularly in Florida, the carjackings. Because mm. they could, you could ID a rental car, and they knew it was somebody from out of the area at the very least. And of course, foreigners were tar- heavily targeted, and that just became brutal. And that was, I mean, that was just an opportunistic criminal enterprise. I mean, it's not the same things we're talking about here. But with the older generation, it's fear. It's a lot of fear uh, that I find among my peers, and it's it's just a. a a bewilderment about where we are, where we've been. And I think Pete was right. A lot of it is COVID, COVID uh, after effect. And I really, the only way I can think to address that is for for everyone to stay engaged, old and young, stay engaged, step away from the internet, step away from the, the games. I'm not going to blame everything on violent games. We used to play Cops and robbers, the cowboys and Indians, uh, civil war, the whole thing. And, and step away from social media. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, so that was... And engage uh, and a disengage yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. That was the point of uh, Congressman Auchincloss's uh, uh, op-ed in, in today's Globe. I would uh, recommend folks uh, reading it and talking about 
uh, immaturity and hate brewing online. Um, mm. But I, I did want to, uh, first of all, I, I, I do say, Chris, uh, if your friends want to come to the United States, have them come to Massachusetts. I know they're afraid of the last time that uh, people <laughs> brandished his guns uh, against the British. Uh, but yeah, I think we've kind of calmed down after 240 years. Yeah, we're uh, over it now. So yeah, they're 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 more than welcome. Uh, I, I don't I know about that. Really. I mean, we're uh, looking. We're about to reenact Lexington Concord 1775 <laughs> there you go. There you T-shirt. Go. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I'd we'll, we'll even <laughs> we'll even have tea. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't we about to reenact the uh, 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 the tossing of the tea into the yes, uh, yes, the two hundred and fiftieth anniversary? Yeah, we got the two hundred fiftieth coming up. So yeah, yep. invite them over, man. Yeah, yeah come yeah, on off over. the HMS Beaver, <laughs> and and, and I'm going to give you another reason why. So uh, let me uh, share another Massachusetts law that uh, we enacted in uh, in 2018 that uh, is significant and something that other states are looking for. It's uh, it's called the uh, ERPA law, Extreme Risk Protection Orders. And that gives a petitioner who may be a friend, a family member, uh, other relative, who believes that a, a person holding a license to carry firearms, if they believe that that person poses a risk of causing bodily injury to themselves or others, they can go to court and file a petition that, you know, requires them to state the, the reasons for it. And a, and a hearing will be held to determine whether or not uh, that license should be revoked and the weapon uh, removed from that particular person. And, uh, you know, we know that uh, these types of things happen, you know, uh, how frequently I can't say, but they do happen. And it's uh, it's good that we have that law in place. Uh, some had suggested that it might be abused uh, and that uh, unnecessarily people may be forced into uh, this type of a situation. But uh, I have to say, uh, I'd much rather err on the side of caution and uh, take those types of steps there are due process protections in the ERPO law that we enacted in Massachusetts, but uh, you know, uh, it's it's another safe way uh, for handling uh, the gun issue that Massachusetts has uh, has enacted, and I think other states are looking at that as well. Rachel, you it's wanted to weigh in on this? Yes, thank you. I had a um, question for Jeff that relates just to this, which is a different like precedent that I wasn't aware of until it was unfortunately part of my life, which is the um, folks with a history of domestic violence being able to own firearms and do. That was surprising to me, honestly, when I found that out. It was obviously relieving and it was disturbing um, for me to think like, oh, wow, I this is one of those situations where even this person's right to carry firearms is is infringed. I so what is that law, Jeff? What what can that do to to help advance the you know further it? Well, it, it's similar to what we did in ERPO. Uh, ERPO is any family member for any uh, you know in any circumstance can petition the court. The uh, in the domestic uh, violence situation, um, typically there is some sort of court proceeding that has already taken place, that uh, being one of the 
people in a relationship may have sought a restraining order in a district court, or if there's a probate proceeding and uh, it's a divorce proceeding, there's a, an action pending. And uh, if there are threats of harm under the law that existed even before ERPO, uh, the court can order that the weapons be uh, removed from that person and the license to carry uh, revoked. It's a very volatile, emotional situation when two partners split up. And uh, the last thing you need is uh, a weapon in the hands of somebody who's really at their uh, emotional breaking point. So that law has been in effect for a long time, and uh, I'm glad uh, we have it in effect here. Chris, you've got something like that back home, uh, an ASBO. Does that work basically the same way, the antisocial behavior um, ordinance? Or... Uh, that's come in since I left, and so I, I only um... have a, a, a partial understanding of what that is. But I um, there's constant uh, stories in the media of those being abused, though, for people mm -hmm. who are, um, mm -hmm. you know, just um, enjoying life, maybe yeah. slapped on an ASBO on them, and then they're not allowed to, you know, be out and certain areas at certain times and that kind of thing. So it's, um, you got to remember that there really, there really isn't a constitution in the, in the United Kingdom. There really isn't mm -hmm. any fundamental laws protecting anything. So the government can at will pretty much decide anything still. So um, somewhat willy nilly, which is, yes, there's kind of custom the, yeah. and practice and, uh, yeah. you know, established uh, precedents and uh, some laws protecting some things, but yes, it's um, they they can get away with well, mur lot, I would say murder, but like uh, they can get the the it's a you know unicameral system, very different to our perfect union, um, mm -hmm. where uh, the executive is supreme. Uh, so tough one to uh, compare to, really. Mm -hmm. I think the Erpo law that you were just talking about, Jeff, sort of shines a light a little bit on what happened in New York, uh, in Hebron, New York, where. You know, Kaylin and friends uh, were trying to just turn around in what was for them the wrong driveway. And, you know, Kaylin Gillis ended up, you know, getting killed uh, because of, again, this hyper reactive response from Murphy, the homeowner. And, uh, you know, he just came out literally guns blazing uh, just because somebody happened to be on the property. And so, but, I mean, who sits there with a firearm by the window watching? Everything that's happening in their quiet little town, uh, it's just, like you say, this level of, of vigilance, it's just unnatural. I don't know. It just seems to me anyway. It Exactly. And it's, no, a, it just, it's a distortion of someone's mm -hmm. reality. That's what it mm -hmm. is. There, There is something there that has taken these people and moved them off the mainstream. Uh, I'm not going to say they're deranged. I'm just going to say they, they are dealing with a distortion of what's going on and Again, there's no stand your ground law in New York. Uh, the Sheriff Murphy, who pointed that out, says there was no reason for Mr. Monahan to feel threatened whatsoever. The people never got out of the car. The car pulled into the driveway, said, oh, wrong place, turned around, started to leave, and he started blasting away. That's not going to be an easy defense. Yeah, uh, and, you know, the what one of the points I wanted to bring up today around this is that I don't think that our that our laws have kept up with the proliferation of the use of weapons. And here's what I mean by that. Gentleman comes running out of his house, guns are blazing. A young woman is killed, killed. Her life is ended. 
Her family now is without a daughter, brothers without a sister, her boyfriend without a friend or a companion. Killed. So I'm not sure that if this person goes to trial and is found guilty, that there ought to be an add-on here, which was an unprovoked use of a weapon in a situation that did not call for it. The stand your ground laws, okay, that's a defense. And again, one of the things you learn in the law is that it's not, uh, this is not a, uh, a protection, it's a defense. And you have to then, there are elements then to try to prove that you were justified in this defense. And I would propose that if you fail to show that you were in the right circumstances and you had to be threatened, you had to demonstrably be threatened, that that your defense now is inadequate, that there ought to be an add-on for your use of that weapon if it ends in either a maiming or a death of the individual. Because right now, people feel, in some instances, especially around stand your ground laws, they feel as though they're wrapped in this mantle of protection, Mm. okay, that it's an offensive uh, piece. In other words, I'm justified. Right. So that they, they don't, most of us don't realize that first you get charged, and now you use that stand your ground as a defense. And I would propose to you that, again, with the proliferation of guns, folks, the attitude of our citizens is changing, whether it's due to COVID, whether it's due to radicalization. Uh, People are, and thank you very much, because you're absolutely right, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Nick, when you were talking about the, uh, uh, and Chris, with uh, 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 with the right terminology. It all comes down to, at the end of the day, though, the individual being weaponized. Yes. So what do you think? I mean, Massachusetts, I think, has a great sort of entry into gun ownership, training, an application, a waiting period, a limitation on the types of guns you can own. All of those, I think, up in the front end are good things. And you're right, Jeff, that at some point in time, we may not escape having these kinds of atrocities in Massachusetts, but at least we're prepared. Uh, We have our red flag laws in place, too. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this proliferation of this attitude is what's bothering me. And some of the other ancillary things that it's bringing out, the racism, the idea that youth, I mean, in Dadeville, we're talking teenagers now. Of course, this Mm -hmm. is Alabama where the proliferation of guns is a very celebrated kind of thing. Uh, but teenagers who can have access, uh, open carry laws with, uh, well, actually no open carry laws, just open and carry. You know, I could walk down, put my holster on, and just walk down the street in Alabama. However, I must admit that in our, in our state house buildings, you are not allowed to bring weapons in. And that seems like the height of hypocrisy to me, that if, the legislature is going to pass laws to allow people to open carry. Well, how come I can't open carry inside the Capitol building? There's another element here, too, that I think we need to discuss. And it is, there's the law. There is whatever precision within the law that we can muster with our own imperfect language. And and in terms of perfecting the law and perfecting contracts and so on, 
with the language tools we have, lawyers bend over backwards to do that. And so wringing the ambiguity out of any law is a real challenge. And people take these laws and they feel perfectly comfortable with interpreting them in whatever way they wish at their convenience. What fits my life, that's how the law fits me. Even though at the end of the day, it doesn't even remotely resemble the intent of the law. Stand your ground, I think, is a great example of that. So what do we do? The stand your ground law has to have a clear explanation. Now, any of us who have been on a jury, who have served jury duty, when we go there and we sign in and we are selected for the day and they, what they do is uh, they run a short film that says, this is your responsibility as a juror and this is what it is not. And this is how a jury works. And they actually take some pains to train the jury on the spot with respect to the nature of their deliberations. So they go in prepared to listen to the arguments on both sides and then to deliberate uh, with some degree of insight and wisdom. The judge will add other comments. And I've heard judges uh, speak with the greatest eloquence, moving eloquence, with respect to what a jury does. And it's one of the things that I actually take as a positive about jury duty. Now, that said, how do we replicate that sort of preparatory wisdom and apply it to things like the Stand Your Ground Law, ERPA, all of these things that are out there to enable people and guide people in the proper use of weapons in the proper and rare circumstances? Um, but as long as people are simply allowed to make these massive presumptions about what they can and can't do with guns, adding on top of that the degree of emotion that they bring to it, where you know the brain is literally short-circuited uh, and all reason comes to a stop and they just react. It's endemic. And, and it, I don't have offhand the tools to address it. The, but it also speaks to, well, what happened in Texas where the man shot and wounded cheerleaders just because somebody got in the car. Now, I... If a 20-year-old cheerleader happened to jump in my car, I think my reaction would be very different. Um, but I would urge you, know, you to get counsel if that happened. Yeah. And, and this is a family show. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Whose family, though? Frank Sinatra, perhaps? Well, it's it's really unfortunate. You know, the, the, the girl uh, just hopped in the car thinking it was hers because there was somebody in the passenger seat. But then what he did after that was he pursued her. She got out. She apologized. She got in the friend's car and he came at her. And what was that anger about? There was certainly no stand your ground issue there. There was certainly nothing there. It is even more egregious than the other two cases that we talked about. On face value, to, to be fair, we don't uh, know if there is any kind of counter arguments as will be presented at trial, presumably. But yes, on the face of it, yes. it was. It was striking to me, um, and I, I have to believe that there's there has to be something more with respect to the responsibility of gun ownership and examples of circumstances when and where, given the laws in your state, uh, reactions are appropriate. 
what they yeah. are and what they are not, particularly in stand your ground states. That really needs to be clarified because the way people are interpreting it, or even if they believe it's in their state when it's not, that they've got some divine right, there's got to be some way to dispel some of these really strange notions that people walk around with. It's um, like, I think Dr. Mike was onto something. There's been some kind of culture shift where there yes. seems to have been in some sectors. Um, I hope it's not you know, universal, uh, a basic loss of respect for human life. Like in somewhere, somewhere along the line in the last 50 years, it's become okay to just like end people for whatever petty reasons might be in your mind. And I don't, I like to think that's not a, you know, a universal human trait, um, but it seems to have been something that's become okay here for some reason. I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting wildly off the mark here, but I think that Dr. Mike was uh, thinking something along the same lines. I don't think you are off the mark. Uh, it's that people have lost some sense of the consequences of their actions, as though there are no consequences. Also, too, uh, given the families of the aggrieved, of the victims, the people who were shot, uh, we haven't had any discussion regarding the civil suits and those consequences. Beyond what actually happened with respect to any determination of guilt or innocence, there is the fact that someone took out a gun, reacted, shot someone else, and that within the field of consequences for that, there's damage. Jarl ended up in a hospital. Two other people died. It would be, it would be in my mind, good reason to highlight the following civil suits that, that surely must come after that, and that that's something people should be aware of. You use a gun improperly, you could lose everything. I think maybe <clears throat> just to kind of take it in a slightly different area, uh, the radicalization and the feeling that you can do this with impunity right. might have just a tiny bit uh, of, uh, of history behind it when a sitting president says that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and walk away from it. Right. So when you've got it that high up saying it's okay, go out and slaughter. Well, that remember just how shocking that statement was when it first was made? Oh, I still find it shocking. I hope I find it shocking for every minute of every day of my life. Right. The rest but of the, my life. I think that's the transformation in mm -hmm. some right. parts of the society that we're seeing, yeah. unfortunately. Right. Then there was also the other case, the six-year-old who took a gun to school and shot his teacher mm. uh, a few weeks back. Uh, there was follow-up information with respect to uh, the mother who had not secured the weapon properly. And there's got to be some accountability with respect to minors mm -hmm. who find their way to uh, get a hold of guns. Well, we're, um, we're seeing that. Uh, what is it? Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, the, the kid that their parents gifted him a gun. He takes it to school. They're aware, you know, and they, they say, you know, I'm not mad at you because you got because uh, you did it, because, but because right. you got caught. But they are being they are they are being prosecuted. So that's what I would follow as as you know. See how how that work plays out. And then there's the Kyle Rittenhouse case, of course, as well. <sighs> oh, oh right. Yeah. His mother, yeah, his mother definitely should have been brought to to task for that. All right. Are I we? Are well, on that note, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to say I do recall uh, the mother involved in the uh, Newtown school shooting. Mm who yes. ended up losing her own life. Yeah. But, you know, you yeah. have to wonder what was going on exactly. in that home in the days before that. But, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and Pete, I think uh, you you captured it correct. And on that note, yes. <laughs> and on that note, it's time for me to say another more perfect hour has flown by, and we have to say goodbye until next week. If you would like to weigh in, no, if if you would like to weigh in on our discussions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion, please let us know. If you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. You can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online. Just visit our website, wfpr.fm. For Rachel Plukas, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Jeff Roy, our station manager, Peter J, and my co-host, Nick Remersong. I'm Chris Wolf. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.